0: morning, church. One further war, uh, word regarding the uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. On your way out today, uh, there are baby bottles available in the uh, foyer for you to pick up. And, of course, we'll have representatives uh, here from uh, Cornerstone uh, here in a few weeks to collect those bottles as we look to support those uh, who support life. And we've been studying together through the book of John, and I was hoping this morning that as a congregation <clears throat> we would actually be able to say the verse together, uh, the reason in light of studying the book of John, remember we're using this verse kind of as our guide, and so uh, I'm going to do it like I do with the kids at release time, on three, alright, we're going to say it together, alright, we'll start with the John 20, 30-31, to 31, okay, ready, one, two, three, John 20, 30-31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. Very good, thank you. That was that was great. Awesome. Very good. We're wrapping up John chapters 1 through 4 today. We've been in John chapter 4 for a number of weeks, and we want to kind of just wrap these four chapters up and look at where we have been and some of the uh, key elements that have come from the beginning of the book of John as we've studied it. And first, one of the themes of the first four chapters of John is this concept of the Word. It's mentioned eight times in four chapters. And it's specifically highlighted in chapters 1, 2, and 4. As we opened the Gospel of John many, many months ago now, in chapter 1, the word is identified to us as Christ, our Messiah. And we come to find that through his words, Jesus is able to draw men unto himself. John chapter 1, we saw this with the disciples. And he's, he's able to quench the physical. And the spiritual thirst, we had the wedding at Canaan where we had the miracle of quenching the physical thirst. The people had run out of wine and Jesus was able to physically take the water and turn it into wine. And then with the woman at the well, we have his ability to quench the spiritual thirst as well. We also find in John chapter 3 that he's able to transform lives in his conversation with Nicodemus and and bring men from spiritual darkness into light. And today, friends, as we come to the end of John chapter 4, we're going to find that Jesus is powerful over physical affliction. Not, not only does Jesus have power over the spiritual world, but by His Word alone, He commands power over the physical. And so this section, where in John chapter 1 we began with the Word, now concludes with an incredible testimony At the end of John chapter 4, to the power of the Word. And so, from beginning of John 1 to end of John 4, there's one sentence, one simple sentence that can summarize all four of those chapters the supremacy of Jesus, the Word. That's it. John chapter 1 through John chapter 4, the supremacy of Jesus, the Word. And a section in John chapter 1 that begins with a miracle in Galilee in John chapter 2 will end here in John chapter 4 with another miracle being performed in Galilee. Now you have heard this statement before. In fact, it's, it's pretty much everywhere we look, everywhere we go, uh, we hear the seeing is believing. Seeing is believing, right? Or maybe you've heard someone say, well, prove it. Someone tells you they can do something, you know, the weight room is always one of those places where guys get together and everybody says, go ahead and prove it. And, and you know, it's, it's one of those things that, that we hear often, but we said last week that we come to know a person by hearing what they say and observing what they do. And both are very important. And they're very important for this reason. If I only hear the words that a person says, but I'm not observing their actions, How can I know that their life matches the character of their speech? See, both are very important, hearing and seeing. And if I only watch what a person does, but never hear them speak, if I only observe their actions, but I never get to hear with my ears what they say, how do I know that what they're doing is from a proper motivation? You see, here we are at the end of John chapter 4, and people had observed what Jesus had done. They had watched him turn the water into wine, and they saw the testimony of his power, and and his example, and his miracles, and the signs that he was able to perform. The word had began to spread, and people were coming to him. And they weren't coming to Him necessarily because of what He was saying, but primarily, in this instance, they're coming to Him because what He had done and what He was able to do. Their motivations for coming in this instance, as we're going to see today, were not completely pure. The signs and wonders were what people wanted more of from Jesus. Not necessarily who He was or what He was saying. As their Messiah. And so the question we might ask today is seeing really believing. Or, friends, as a church, should it be the other way? Should it be that believing is seeing? Believing is seeing. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, as we enter a kind of a pretext moment today before we jump into John, it says this. And so today, friends, if you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 46 to 54, and we're going to see an example where a man has faith without sight. And as you turn in your Bibles, let us pray. Father God, as we come together on Sunday mornings and enter into your word, we acknowledge this morning that. This is not a a passive activity that you call us to on Sunday mornings, Father, but it's one that you actively call us to engage in together. And so as a body of Christ, we open your word this morning, and we are anticipating that you're going to use your word to change our lives. That we might leave here looking differently, that we might leave here equipped and motivated, To live out of the great thankfulness for what you have done for us. That your word might change us through the power of your spirit. And that we might grow in a greater love for you and a greater love for each other through its power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is John chapter 4 verses 46 to 54. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, this is Jesus, where he had made the water... Wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So our goal, friends, this morning is to find ourselves motivated by this encounter that Jesus has, this interaction with this official that we might believe without sight. And we're going to set the stage. Remember, Jesus was in Sychar where he met with the woman at the well. And so you see Sychar down there in Samaria to the south and he had traveled about the 30 to 40-mile journey uh, to get to Cana. And from Cana in Galilee, where you see Galilee right above Samaria there, where this miracle was going to take place was about 15 miles from Cana in Capernaum. And we know this from our context. And, And friends, this is a little confusing. If you remember the last two verses from last week, take a look at these verses. After the two days he departed from Galilee... For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. And so what we're trying to do here is we're trying to to mesh and understand that Jesus is well received with this reality that he just spoke about, how a prophet has no honor in his hometown hometown so how is this true if jesus is well received how does a prophet have no honor in his hometown how do we understand the environment that jesus was coming into as he entered into cana and our answer friends is found in the reason that people were actually coming to and welcoming jesus again here jesus he's not being welcomed because of who he was In in fact, we know that he would be despised for who he was and who he claimed to be, but he was being welcomed and he was being celebrated for what he was able to do and for the testimony of what he had done. Perhaps, Perhaps the best way to understand this, friends, is for us to think of a time when someone has mistreated you or used you for something you could provide for them. ...rather than really for who you are. You know, years ago I had seen a friend that I hadn't been in touch with in ages. And and when I saw him, he was overjoyed to see me. And I remember he said, hey, let's get together and go out and get a cup of coffee. And I was so excited. I was like, that's a wonderful idea. That would be great. Why don't we meet at Starbucks? It sounds good. And, And we went and we sat down and we met together... And when we sat down, I was fully expecting to catch up and to find out about his life and what the Lord had been doing and, and all these different things. And I remember we sat down together and he said, hey, I'm going to cut right to the chase. I- I'm actually here to sell you something. And I was like, Ugh. I mean, it was, it was like oh, I felt used. And I, I felt like, man, the, he didn't care about our relationship, about The past that we had together and the fact that we knew each other and and shared significant experiences with one another, that didn't matter to him at all. He cared more in that moment for what he could get out of me. Jesus, he was appreciated by the people for what they could gain or profit from him. The miracles and the signs that he had performed, he was not appreciated for the person he actually was or the words that he was actually saying. And he affirmed this in the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 8. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And friends, perhaps the greatest way that we dishonor other people is by not loving them for who they truly are, but for only what they can provide to us. Let me say that again. The greatest way that we dishonor others is by not loving them for who they truly are, but for only what they can provide for us. And many people in this room have probably shared an experience or two, uh, like I just shared a few moments ago. And, and this happens today with Jesus. There's a lot of folks out there that, that love Jesus, and they want Jesus as a friend. Jesus as a buddy. I have a friend like this, and he talks about the big guy upstairs. And, 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 and he really just wants Jesus to be a buddy but not to be his Lord. He doesn't want to have to submit to his authority and live according to his standards. There's others that that want a Savior. They want to be saved, but they don't want a Master. You see, Jesus is both friend and Lord, Savior and Master. And what the people wanted here, the reason Jesus had no honor among them, is because they were only looking to him for the miracles That he could perform in their midst. They only wanted him for who they desired him to be. And so as Jesus is ministering in the city. He's approached by an official whose son is dying from an illness. And and there's some new things that are happening here in regards to Jesus' ministry. We want to take a look again at verse 47. And look at these new realities regarding Jesus' ministry. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. The first new reality we have here, friends, is this is the first time in the Gospel of John that we have someone that's not a Jew, not a Samaritan approaching Jesus. Here we have a Gentile official probably somehow attached to Herod's leadership and he's approaching Jesus in desperation and really he would only be coming to Jesus in desperation because it would not have been true for a Roman official or right for a Roman official to come to a Jewish carpenter for any other reason he's hoping that Jesus might be able to pencil his son in for a healing maybe and so we have this pattern affirm that we talked about last week. Remember, we talked about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We have it here at the end of John chapter 4, right? We had in John 3, Nicodemus. We had in the beginning of John 4, a Samaritan woman. Nicodemus was a Jew. The woman at the well was a Samaritan. And so here we have a Roman Gentile official. And the desperation of the situation, friends, it cannot be overstated. And perhaps any of us would put ourselves in similar shoes, and maybe we would have approached Jesus in the very same way. A child is dying. A child is dying. He's at the point of death. His father is desperate. And he does not belong to the Jewish people. And so a question we might ask, and many of us already know the answer, is will Jesus act on behalf of a people who are not of His heritage? Will He show Himself to be a Messiah more than just for the Jewish people and the Sumerian people, but will He show Himself to be a Messiah for the world? And on this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, I think we'll find that all life truly matters to Jesus. And the second new reality we have here in verse 47 is this is the first time in the Gospel of John that we've seen the word death. First time, friends. And so in anticipation, we might be asking, how will the word, set up in John chapter 1, and that theme carried all the way through, how will the word Jesus respond when confronted with death? Will the power of the Messiah rise above the chains of death? Friends, it's a wonderful foreshadowing, isn't it? The first time that our Lord is confronted with death here in John chapter 4, what does He do? He destroys its power. He breaks its chains. He unleashes a child from its grasp. And the method by which He does it is even more impressive. And take, a, take a look at how He responds and, and what He says to the official here in verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now signs, signs testified to Jesus' character and his authority. These were the kind of prove it things that Jesus did amongst the people. And, and wonders, they were the miracles that testified to Jesus' power. These were the, the uh, events that Jesus did that caused people to marvel at him. And these signs and wonders, friends, they were given to validate the ministry of Jesus and the apostles. They were not to be the focus of his ministry. And at the very beginning of his ministry here, friends, we're seeing that people are having trouble keeping proper focus and proper perspective of Jesus in the midst of these miracles. These signs and wonders were what they wanted, but really... The person that we're supposed to keep our focus on, where we're supposed to keep our attention, is on Jesus. And they were distracted by all the things that he was doing among them. The irony of this statement, friends, is that the greatest sign and wonder that God had ever performed on behalf of men was standing right in front of the people, and they missed him. They missed him. Signs and wonders. You won't believe unless you see signs and wonders. And the sign and the wonder was standing right there. Right there. Belief without sight, friends. Look at John chapter 6, verses 30 to 35. This comes up a few times in Jesus' ministry. They said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? This is the prove it statement. This is the show me first faith. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, just like the woman at the well, she wanted that water, right? Sir, give me this water. What do they say? Sir, give us this bread, always. And how does he respond? I am the bread of life. Standing right in front of them, they missed him. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And this just didn't happen with the Pharisees and religious leaders. Friends, this happened with Jesus' disciples. You remember at the end, towards the end of his ministry, when Jesus had raised from the dead his disciples who walked amongst him, who saw that he had power over death, who saw that he could walk on water, there was even one of them who doubted, who wanted to see with his own eyes. We remember Thomas. John chapter 20, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And there's some important messages in here for us, friends. One is, sight is not imperative to belief and obedience. In other words, Jesus is affirming in these texts, those who believe and ultimately who obey, who live by faith without seeing. And friends, faith that rests its hope on miracles is no faith at all. No faith at all. Our our faith might be confirmed and it might be affirmed and it might be strengthened as we witness miracles, but our faith must rest on the person and work of God through Jesus, not on miracles. Friends, our, our great hope is not found in signs and wonders. This is what the world wants. This is what the unbelieving world wanted of Jesus. This is why the people were so quick to welcome him because they knew what he could do. And our great hope is not found in these signs of wonders, but our great hope rests on the power of God through the person and work of Jesus and the efficacy of His Holy Spirit. Jesus does not call us to witness great miracles, then to believe and be obedient. There is a pattern, and the pattern is described right here in our text this morning. Look down at verses 49 and 50. The officials officials said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. The man, perhaps anxious because of Jesus' response that he might be dismissed, he reiterates the urgency, excuse me, of the situation sir come down before my child dies and now look in one sentence how Jesus aligns this pattern of belief and look at how it matches the theme for our study of the book of John go your son will live and as we read in John 20 believe and have life in his name the two statements fit wonderfully together it's a pattern for us friends We don't have to see first. The Lord calls us to have faith and to walk in obedience. Before this official is going to see the power of Christ at work in his life, he must be obedient. He must be obedient. Before he's going to get to see this great miracle that Jesus has done, first he has to be obedient. Jesus tells him to go, and he must go. Jesus has already performed the miracle. But before the man can witness it or affirm it, he must follow Jesus' command and go. This sentence, by the way, it's the capstone of our text this morning. And it utterly destroys, show me first, faith. It utterly destroys it. There will be no sign or wonder performed here for this man to see or to witness with his own eyes. Yet in this very moment, his son's fever will break. And he'll begin to recover from his illness. The word of Jesus had to be enough for this man in this moment. Friends, is our faith resting on what we have seen? Or is it resting on the power of God through his word and through his work in our life? And Jesus, he's pressing the official towards a crossroad here, isn't he? Right, Because really the official, with the desperation of the situation, he could stand and he could argue and say, just come with me, Jesus, just physically come with me and let me see you do this miracle. And and there's a crossroad here. Either he's going to be obedient and listen to Jesus and go, or he's going to have to stand and waste precious time arguing. And so we see he goes. He begins walking, perhaps even with great fear, towards the miracle which Jesus was moving him towards. Towards the miracle that Jesus had already performed, yet this man was unable to see friends. uh, Many years ago, I had a close friend. He was an educator. Uh, He taught. And he called me one night. He was a very successful teacher, taught in high school. In fact, he he was on track to become a principal. And he called me one night, and he said, Chris, he said, I think I'm leaving teaching to go into the ministry. I was like, well, you're not going to have your summers off anymore, buddy. <laughs> and he's like, I know. And he said, and, and, and I, can't, I can't see all the answers in front of me. But I feel this compelling call that just keeps coming up in my mind over and over again. It's in my mind when I sleep. It's in my mind when I wake all throughout the day. And just the other week, some of the leaders from my church came to me and they sat down and they said, hey, we'd like you to consider going into full-time ministry. And he said, I don't think I can deny it anymore. And, 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 And he said, I really want you to talk me out of it. That's what he said to me said, you're in full-time ministry. Talk me out of it. Tell me all the things I don't see. And, and I, I tried my best. But the reality, friends, was he did not have all of the answers. He had to take a step of faith and walk in obedience without seeing the end result. And, and this has been a number of years now. He's faithfully serving in ministry. Uh, and, and he's doing a wonderful job. And the Lord is using him mightily. But friends, it was so similar in our lives when the Lord called us uh, a number of months ago, almost a year now, to step away from our position at Wesley, It was the same thing. There was no job lined up. It was pretty cloudy in front of us. It's pretty cloudy. But, but you step, and the Lord begins to take what's cloudy and make it clear in, in our lives. And, and I can't tell you the number of questions that people reask. Uh, asking regarding the adoption, it's it's so many, so many good questions too, and so many questions we have no answers to, none, and we are terrified, and we tremble, and we're fearful. And we see our own inadequacies and our own inabilities in the way that we parent and are raising our own children. And we know already that we're not perfect parents. And we know that we have a lot of work to do. But we're just trusting and stepping in faith and walking in obedience, believing that Jesus is going to accomplish His purpose and His plan in all of it. And that He is powerful enough to do it through us and do it for us, if that's what He's calling us to. And so, friends, in in your life, it's the same way. It's the same way many of us sit here today and share in these, 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 we have these stories and these testimonies of of what God has done, very similar to to ones I just shared. And when we gather on Sunday morning and have opportunities to share, it should be an exciting time to talk about the way God's working in our lives as we walk by faith in obedience to what He is calling us to. No time for... Petty arguments, friends. In this situation, there's no debate. Uh, This is indeed this man's last hope, and and it's his son's only hope. Death is at the doorstep. So he believes the word of Jesus, and he goes on his way. And look at what Jesus does. Verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him his son was recovering. Now, isn't it interesting that as this man begins to walk in obedience without seeing what Jesus has already done, that God allows for him to see the results of Jesus' work before he even reaches the intended destination. He's affirming his faith. He's confirming his faith. And friends, this is is just such a strong example and powerful example of how God works in our lives when we walk by faith in obedience, oftentimes before we even reach the destination to which He is calling us towards, we can see the work He is already doing and what He is already producing in our lives and in the lives of those around us. A lesson for us today, friends, trust and obey. Trust and obey. God does not often allow us to see the evidence of His work until we begin walking in obedience to what He has called us to. And sometimes, along the way, we are confronted with the reality that He is always working in our lives. He's always at work. And so curiosity leads this man to his next question. Look at verse 52. And so he asked his servants the hour when his son began to get better and they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him his faith is now being confirmed by what he saw god had moved through jesus a man's son had begun to heal at the exact moment that jesus said it would be so and there's a quote here that jesus uses in this text friends that should take our minds back to previous learning in the old testament Go, your son will live. That line, your son will live, friends, it should take us back to 1 Kings chapter 17, where there's another event similar to this but a little bit different. 1 Kings 17, remember the testimony of Elijah? After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he had lodged and put him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? And watch what happens in verse 21. And he stretched himself upon the child three times, and he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Her faith was confirmed. But again, friends, flash forward to John where we are today and we find that Jesus the Messiah is even greater than Elijah. Elijah. And remember, this is one of the thrusts of John's writing. He wanted us to see that Jesus was greater than Abraham. He was greater than Isaac. He was greater than Jacob, than all of the patriarchs, all of the kings, all of the prophets. And even Elijah, who had to physically be present and physically lay his body over the child. Jesus, greater than that, was able to heal this man's son from a distance. He's greater than Elijah. He has the power to conquer death from a distance. His physical presence was not necessary to save this child from his affliction. And as a result of this great work, just like in Elijah where this woman's faith is con- confirmed, she looks, she knows this is a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in his mouth is truth, what happens is in this man's life? It's a harvest, friends. Look down at verse 53 at this harvest that comes through this man's faith and obedience. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. Friends, this should be so encouraging to us, and so confirming to us as we sit here today, as we walk by faith, though sometimes we cannot see, God shows up in our obedience and our faith is strengthened and our witness is used of God to draw other people to Himself and to cause other people to move in spite of the fear that may have previously paralyzed them. Now friends, think about this. There could be something in your life right now that God is calling you to that you are absolutely terrified about. That causes you to tremble with fear as you think about the implications of it. But, but it could change this, and it could change that, and it could change this. And you may not have all the answers, but you may feel today even this compelling call of the Lord to move and to go and to act. Did you ever imagine in your mind, or did you ever think that your obedience, though fearful and though with trembling... That God might be able to use that, and your faithfulness, that God might be able to use that as a testimony in another person's life to help confirm their faith and draw them to himself, maybe even to the point of salvation. Or did you, even, did you ever think that, that perhaps God could use your obedience and your faith, though you cannot see and don't have all the answers, to help someone who's struggling with their faith strengthen their faith again? And walk closer again to the Lord. And he does this all the time, friends. This is why we study the Bible together on Sunday morning. Because he uses the testimony of those who have gone before us to strengthen and to affirm our faith. It wasn't just this father's faith that was affirmed in this moment. But the testimony of Jesus' work in this boy's life was enough for God to save the entire household. And this pattern is affirmed over and over again in the New Testament. And we need no look further than than many of the examples we find in Acts when one member of a household comes to Christ and because of their faith and obedience, the rest of the members of the household follow. As our text concludes today, John affirms that this was the second sign that Jesus performed coming from Judea to Galilee. There would be many more to follow, And over the next few weeks and months, as we continue through the book of John, we'll witness many more miracles that Jesus does. The question we ask at the conclusion of of all of our messages is, how should our lives look in light of these realities? Friend, just a few thoughts that came to my mind this week as I looked at this text. Are we sometimes guilty of using Jesus only for who we want Him to be, and not for really who He is? And it's a question I ask myself. I hope it's a question that you might ask yourself today. We don't want to be guilty of dishonoring Jesus like this people in this town were guilty of doing. Because they only wanted Jesus for the miracles, for the signs. And not truly for who he was and what he said. And so the second question follows, what does our faith rest on? Friends, it must rest on his power. By faith alone, we walk by faith. Not by sight. That's what the Scriptures said. Are the words of Jesus enough for us? More than what we observe and see with our eyes, do we trust what He says? And does our trust and our faith lead us to obedience? Do His words then elicit in us a faithful obedience, resting on the testimony of the evidence of His faithfulness in our lives over and over and over again? As we think about those things this morning, I want to invite Dave Hurst to come, and he's going to lead us in a final hymn this morning, perhaps a fitting hymn, as we conclude this section of John, John chapters 1 to 4, Trust and Obey.
1: It's 571 in your hymn book if you'd like to use that, otherwise the words will be on the screen as soon as we get our pianist. When we walk with the Lord In the light of his word What a glory he sheds on our way While we do his good will He abides with us still and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey, but we never can prove the delights of his love. trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in jesus but to trust and obey then in fellowship
0: Thank you, Nancy. As you go this week, might you walk by faith and not by sight. And might the Lord's testimony of His faithfulness confirm, affirm, and strengthen your faith as you walk in His ways. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. And there's baby bottles for you out there to pick up as you leave.